Mindfulness Mode 61. And he grabbed me and put the gun to my head. Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness on Mindfulness Mode with me, your host, Bruce Langford. On Mindfulness Mode, we talk about how people from all walks of life have discovered mindfulness and how it's impacted their lives to help them become more calm, focused, and happy. Thanks so much for listening to Mindfulness Mode. As a thank you, I have some free, easy meditations called Fine-Tune Your Focus 5-Step Challenge. Just go to mindfulnessmode.com slash focus. Enter your name and email, and I'll send you five videos with audio tracks for meditating, clearing your mind, and getting focused. Okay, Mindful Tribe, let's get started. I'm totally thrilled to have Terry Lancaster on the line today. Hey, Terry, are you in mindfulness mode? I'm here. I'm ready, willing, and able. Fully present, Bruce. Let's do this. (laughs) Okay, let's do it. Terry Lancaster is an entrepreneur, speaker, and author of the best-selling book, Better, Self-Help for the Rest of Us. Through his business, Instant Events, Terry focuses his energy specifically on automotive advertising and has concentrated on this segment of the market for over 20 years. Terry meditates and practices mindfulness as a way to stay focused in his life. Through his speaking and writing, Terry helps his followers understand how to achieve their dreams through manageable goals and achievable steps. He helps people build better lives using two simple strategies, habit and focus. So, Terry, what's going on in your life right now that's most exciting for you? Well, Bruce, the most exciting thing for me is we, we released the book in December, Better Self-Help for the Rest of Us. It came out in December, became an overnight number one bestseller. And what's exciting for me is doing exactly what I'm doing right now, talking to people about the book. I've, I've been on an international world podcast tour. I'm doing several appearances on podcasts. I've been on radio and on TV. And I'm doing blog posts. And I'm telling as many people as I can about the book, about how to improve your life one minor step at a time, one one better decision at a time, one better habit at a time. And uh, it's peop- what's exciting that I didn't really realize I was going to be excited about, I was I was so concentrated on getting the book out that when the book came out, and now I'm getting feedback from other people who are who are reading the book. And I just talked to someone this morning that she started doing some of the things, and she's lost 10 pounds in the last couple of weeks. And it's just much more fulfilling for me than I ever imagined possible to have people parrot back my ideas and tell me how they're working in their life and how they're adopting them for their life. So my my entire mission in life, my purpose every morning when I wake up is to get one more person to read the book. Yeah, getting feedback like that. That's fantastic, Terry. So Terry, let's let's talk about mindfulness. You you meditate, I know you do, and there's a whole chapter in your book about it. Let's talk about your meditation practice. What does it look like in your life? Well, in 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 a perfect world, I mean every I meditate every day. That's one of one of the things that is on my daily to-do list every day is to meditate. But it's nothing complicated. I don't have any incense, I don't have a flower rug, I don't I don't have a magic carpet that I have to sit on or anything. What I really enjoy, I live in Nashville, Tennessee, and about eight months out of the year, I can walk outside with a cup of coffee, sit on my desk in the glorious sunshine, and just breathe for about 10 minutes. Um, Right now, it's 26 degrees outside in Nashville and raining, and I don't want to go outside and sit on my desk, so I have to sit on my couch. And But I will. I'll, I'll sit on my couch. And just take a couple of deep breaths, and I have a, a couple little affirmations that I run through in my head of, of my I am moments, things that I am. I am energetic. I am enthusiastic. I am excited. I'm powerful. I'm present. 
and I run through those for a few minutes, and then I uh, then I just breathe and concentrate on my breaths. And I don't I don't I don't like to use apps and and various devices because I think they sometimes they can make things more complicated than we need them to be. So I used to you know set timers and work with my cell phone and do some other things. That, but these days I sit down and I breathe a hundred times. I breathe in through my nose, out through my mouth, and that's one. And I just do it nice and slow, and, uh, and then I open my eyes and get back to the get back to the world. So you're obviously very focused on your work, and you started writing this book. How did you manage to get so focused that you accomplished the book, and how did mindfulness play a role? Well, mindfulness plays a role, and I think in everything we do, we do. I tell everyone that I didn't write the book; the book wrote me. I. Um, <laughs> I've got a degree in journalism, but I've been writing radio commercials for car dealers for the last 25, 30 years. And so I've never written much more than 90 words at a time. 90 words is 30 seconds. That's how long it takes. So the idea of writing a 50,000-word book was just overwhelming for me. And so it never even entered into my imagination that this was something I was I was going to do. It wasn't really an objective, but I wanted to write about it. I, I, I think I thought I felt like the act of writing on this, this a lot of these topics that I was working on focused my uh, my mind. So I started sitting down and writing blog posts. I wrote and I wrote the blog post 500 words at a time. And a lot of the key that comes into that is focus. I, I use a thing uh, for focus called the uh, the Pomodoro technique where you focus on one thing for 25 minutes. And it's amazing what you're going to get accomplished if you will just eliminate all the distractions, turn off the buzzers and the beeps on your phone and turn down all the all the notifications on your screen and, and lock the doors and just do one thing for 25 minutes. So in 25 minutes, I can write a 500-word blog post. And uh, I did this for a couple of years. And at the end of a couple of years, I had a bunch of 500 word blog posts. And I started looking at them and collating them and organizing them and, and moving them around and realized that I could take these and edit them together. And once I had the the idea of the, of the, the main idea of the book is to, to give up on the pursuit of perfection and start where you are and get better from there. You'll never get where you're going unless you go where you are. But I didn't have that idea to start with. It kind of emerged from from these 25-minute sessions that I would do. And once I had those, the book was easy to get easy to get together, but that's the whole purpose of the, the whole thing of the book is is being mindful of where you are and giving up on where you aren't. I mean, we we all want these huge goals and objectives that occupy our mind all the time and they run through our mind constantly. I've got to have this. I've got to have that. I need a million dollars. I need six-pack abs. I need this thing, that thing, and the other thing. But you can't get this thing, that thing, and the other thing unless you start exactly where you are. And that's where the mindfulness comes in to, to be where you are, to appreciate the moment that you have, and do everything in your power to make it better. Yes. Well, Terry, you've spent a lot of time in front of a camera. I've seen some of your commercials. How did mindfulness help you to do this, to get so focused that you could just get in front of that camera and shoot those commercials and get that message out there? Well, mindfulness is, it comes into play in everything we do. And it's whether, whether you're in front of a camera or whether you're in front of the cashier at the gas station paying your, you know, the $20 for your gas and buying a Snickers bar, being mindful is being fully present. And when you're fully present, not only does the world come alive for you, it comes alive for the people around you. If you make every interaction that you have an honest human interaction, whether it's with someone with the gas station or your biggest customer, that it, it, an honest human interaction, being completely present, completely mindful, completely in the moment, 
takes that to a completely almost magical level. I mean, there's, if you're, if you're mumbling through stuff and rushing through stuff and, and rushing through and not making eye contact, it's, it's complete. It's a completely different moment than if you take a moment to be completely with the person that you're talking to. So all I try to do on, whether I'm on a camera or sitting in my bedroom, talking into a microphone, staring at my wall, like this moment right now, I just try to be completely present. And that, that brings out, that's where the magic is. The magic is now. Yeah, and I really like what you said. Make every interaction an honest human interaction. That's that's just great. Let's talk about your childhood. Back when you were a kid, do you remember being like particularly focused back then? Tell us about your life then and how it relates to mindfulness. I was kind of an odd child. I don't I don't know that I uh, haven't given that much thought. I don't know how that uh, that relates to mindfulness. I was I was very introverted as a child and I think this might might come into play some I was an introverted child. So everyone assumed I was bashful. They assumed assumed I was shy. I didn't I didn't make friends easily. I had, once I had good friends, I was I was okay with those. And because I, I actually was just, just having a conversation with someone about this this morning, um, because I was so interactive and maybe socially awkward as a child and as a, as a prepubescent, I was a, I was the youngest child in my class. I was the shortest child in my class. I was the fat kid. I had glasses. I was a nerd, and so I didn't interact well. So I kind of sunk into my own world. And as I became a teenager, that led my, my social awkwardness kind of led me to easing my social awkwardness, uh, mainly through the use of alcohol. I started drinking when I was 14 years old and that allowed me to, to loosen up and, and talk to people and, and be friendly and have a good time and go to the parties. And I drank for 35 years because that became my habit. And, right. um, and I think mindfulness now at the, at the tender age of 50 years old, I've learned that I don't need the social lubrication, the booze to, to get me there. The thing that gets me there is being fully present. If I, I, I think being an introvert, we have so much that goes in our head all the time. We have, you know, I don't like to talk about the voices in my head because I'm afraid someone's going to come take me away one of these days. But we all have these voices in our head, yeah. and and we pay attention to those instead of the world around us. And uh, the the point of being mindful is, uh, like I said, it took me until I was almost 50 years old when I, I learned that I was in charge of the volume button. And when this disc jockey in my head starts running his mouth saying the same things that he's been saying for the last 30 or 40 years and distracting me from the present moment, I can turn the volume down. I'm in charge of my head. I can turn it down and I can focus fully on where I am doing what I'm doing right now. And uh, like I said, it took, I didn't know that in my childhood. I wish I had learned it many, many, many years before I did. But now that I've got it under control and not under control, I mean, no one's perfect. Sometimes the guy, he goes off on his tangent in my head and I, you know, you have to ride with that until you can, you know, grab the reins and pull him back in. So no one's perfect. And I, I definitely don't have it completely under control, but uh, I'm glad that I'm glad that I've got it now. And I'm working every day to, to be more fully present and more fully in charge of what's going on between my ears. Terry, I really find your book funny, and I really find that you've got a great sense of humor. You said, I was a Happy Meal shy of 300 pounds, and I yeah. drank too much. And then, and then you, you use a lot of uh, interesting language, colorful language, and I just found the book very funny. But let's talk <laughs> about humor. I think that in life, to be really happy, we have to have a sense of humor. What do you think about humor? Well, no one gets out alive, and uh, you, know, you, yeah. you, ha- you, have to, you have to be funny about it. You know, you have to take everything with a grain of salt. And if you think 
everything is serious, then you're 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 missing the point. Uh, I think was it John Lennon said a, a teacher asked him one time that uh, you know what he wanted to be when he grew up, and he wanted to be happy. And the teacher said, "I don't think you understand the uh, the point of the exercise." And John Lennon told the teacher, "Well, I don't think you understand the point of life. We mm-hmm. have to be happy, and humor allows us to do that." We talked about my commercials a little while ago, mm-hmm. and um, and so in the real world, I produce the biggest, loudest, most obnoxious car dealer commercials in the history of big, loud, obnoxious car dealer commercials. And it would be easy for me to get real serious about the car dealer commercials and cram all the information in there and and really drive that home. And I do because I have to. But in the point of every commercial, I try to include a couple of little funny lines just to uh, just to ease the tension, if nothing else. You know, just throw a quick line in there that's going it, to it's a little disarming to, to make people laugh in the middle of of this serious car dealer commercial where you're trying to talk them out of thirty thousand dollars to come buy a new car. And life is like that. If you can if you can be humorous. You're, it's it's a little bit disarming for people, and it 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 eases the tension, and it allows people, I think, to drop their personas because we're all acting to some some extent or another. And if you, be, laughing makes you stop acting for a little bit and become fully present, where you can't act and laugh at the same time. You it, it takes you where you are and just brings everything again to a human level. Yeah, it really does. And you used humor in the video to pr- to promote your book as well. I really liked that. That was really funny. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, I do, I do speeches as well. And, I, I, and that's what everyone tells me that the speeches are funny. And I just try, I try not to take myself too seriously. I tell everyone I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't know all the I don't know all the answers because I don't even know all the questions. I'm not trying to be George Clooney. I'm barely George Costanza. You know, I can only be me. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you are you right on the front cover of your book and you put a, a, a photo of your bare chest on the book. My wife thought that was really funny. <laughs> you talk about eating in the book and you say eat a vegetable. You yeah. remember what they look like, right? Yeah, They're usually yeah. by the front door of the supermarket. So what have you got to say about food and eating and mindfulness? How can we do a better job of eating? Well, I think being mindful is is one of the keys, especially toward eating. Like I said, I was I was a happy meal shy of 300 pounds. And a lot of that was is because, one, I didn't eat real food. And I wasn't mindful of the food that I that I ate. You know, you can. It's easy to grab a tub of Hawken Dazs and sit down in front of the TV and watch, uh, you know, the latest episode of Seinfeld or a marathon of Seinfeld and eat the whole tub because we're not mindful. We're just we're pro, we're 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 programming this stuff and we're putting it in our mouth one out the, one after the other and we're not mindful of of what we're doing. And if you if you stop what you're doing and eat, then you become full. And if you're mindful while you're eating. You know, and, you, and you appreciate what you're what you're putting into your mouth. You, you realize that you don't need as much. Most of what we eat isn't food. It's prepackaged, easily digestible, nearly edible food-like substances. And we go through life, and we're shoving this stuff in our mouth. And we we go through the drive-through at McDonald's, and we're shoving it in our mouth while we're talking on our cell phones, and we're driving, and we're not mindful of what we're actually trying to do. And the purpose of food isn't to shove something into your mouth. The purpose of food is to provide the nutrition that your body and your mind needs to get you through the day. And if you become mindful of what the purpose of food is and actually eat with that purpose in mind and give up the idea of food as sport and eat and, and give up the idea of, of or, or not give up the idea, but recognize that most of what you're eating, you're eating out of habit and you can start breaking those habits and eating to fuel the life that you're trying to lead 
and become mindful of that. It uh, you, mean you automatically eat less. We we eat an amazing amount of food, and that, as fat as as a fat guy, you know that that's that was one of the habits. You know, we we I talked about. Um, you know, people who are heroin addicts or people who drink or people who smoke, they say, well, I can give up that cold turkey. I can take the needle out of my arm. I never have to smoke another cigarette in life. But but we have to eat. You know, how do we how do we get that under control? I have to eat. Well, the fact is we do have to eat, but we don't have to eat anywhere near to the degree that we that we eat now. We, we shove three meals and, and three snacks a day down our gullet. And, and most of us are consuming three 4,000 calories a day when nutritionally we don't need anywhere near that much. And if you start breaking it down to just eating for fuel, you automatically become mindful of all the times that you're not eating for fuel. You're eating for entertainment, you're eating for sport, and generally you're eating out of habit. And speaking of a sport, you love hockey, I and do. I know you're into running as well. Let's talk about hockey and getting getting ourselves out there and moving. Yeah, the... Hockey, I, I talk about in the book. There's, there's never a moment in my life that I'm happier than I'm when, the, than when I'm on the ice playing hockey. Someone once described happiness as the moment that your ex- external reality matches your internal reality, and that's also one of the definitions of flow. When, when your external reality and your internal reality are completely in jive, and you're not, you know, you're not driving past the interstate because you're lost in thought. And that's one of the things I love about playing hockey. I'm not so much a spectator. I like to play hockey. One of the things I love about playing hockey is I'm completely in jibe. What's happening in front of my eyeballs is exactly what's happening between my ear holes. There's no room in my brain for me to worry about whether the credit card's due or whether my boss is going to yell at me or whether I got this this thing and that thing done for my customer or or whether my wife is, is angry when I get home. You know, I can only concentrate on chasing this little puck and trying not to get hurt. It's com- I'm completely in the moment. And, uh, and yeah. I was, I, and I described hockey like that 20 years ago before I had any idea what mindfulness or Zen was is like someone, like someone had asked me, well, why don't you play golf? I said, well, I hate golf because I get out there and I get frustrated and it's just, you know, it's, it's frustrating and my mind starts wondering and I can't, you know, it's just too much and it doesn't occupy my mind. But yeah. hockey completely occupies my mind, and that's that's totally what I love about it. It makes me completely mindful because there's just no room for me to have, have any other thoughts. Yeah, hockey is your form of mindfulness. I just it love is. that. Yeah, that's just great because everybody has their own form of mindfulness, and mine is skiing. I love downhill yeah. snow skiing. I just love skiing. But everybody has something, I think, and once you discover it and you really embrace it, it can really make your life amazing. That's for yeah. sure. And once you recognize the power of being being so fully there, and 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 then learn to take that to other areas of your life. That's that's what took me so long, but. The fact that I went, hey, that's that's pretty cool. I'm I'm completely here. Let's see if I can be completely here when I'm at work. Let's see if I can be completely here when I'm playing with my kids. Yeah. Yeah. Terry, I've worked in bullying prevention for over a decade, and I've seen how the practice of mindfulness can really make a big difference in the lives of kids and adults who have been bullied. Do you have a story about a bullying situation where mindfulness might have made a difference? Well, you know, I grew up in um I grew up on the wrong side of the river in Nashville, Tennessee. It was East Nashville, and there were, you know, there were there were gang violence, and uh, there was it was, and like I said, I was I was the short, fat kid with glasses, mm-hmm. so I always, and plus I had a smart mouth, so I always got myself in trouble. <laughs> but I, thinking about this, I, there was one episode um, 
that, and I've actually always kind of had this power and I didn't know what it was. Um, I was at a bus stop one morning and there was a kid there, maybe a couple of years older than me. And then, so I was, I was maybe a freshman in high school. So he's maybe a sophomore or a junior in mm-hmm. high school. And he had brought a gun to school. Oh yeah. And, uh, and so he was, he was brandishing this gun and, you know, playing and just being goofy because he was a goofy kid, but he had a gun. Yeah. And he, uh, he, he was goofy and he wasn't a friend of mine, but he was a guy I knew and he grabbed me and put the gun to my head. Oh, great. And, and, um, and what I did is I just froze. And, and fortunately, it, like I said, this is something that's, that's always been, been in my favor and I never really knew what it was. I, I just kind of, I, I, I was still. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, if, if my instinct had been to turn around and punch him or, or, to, or to, you know, to, to, to fight the situation, that that could have ended up bad. But instead what I did is I just kind of, I, I was kind of still because I, you know, the, my, the thought went through my head. Okay. He's not trying to hurt me. He's just showing off. He's just being goofy. I need to let this situation, let, let the tension ease and step away from it. So I was mindful of that fact for about 15 seconds until he went on to, to, to the next thing. And uh, like I said, it was, it was fortunate for me that that, that happened that way because it could have gone much worse had I not been able to be fully aware of what the situation was and had had reacted strongly, which you know could have easily been a tendency. Yeah, it really could have. Terry, my next questions are part of the multi-mode round. Just short 30-second answers are perfect. Here's the first one. Who is one person who has influenced your mindfulness practice? Well, uh, there's a book by the guy named Daniel Gilbert called Stumbling on Happiness, and that allowed me to uh, to recognize mindfulness and and the and what's going on in your head is completely separate so I, and that was really what what got me going into it was the book stumbling on happiness by a uh, harvard psychology professor daniel gilbert so i have to give him that credit so how has mindfulness affected your emotions well it's it's affected my emotions greatly because my emotions used to run wildly and i i had I always had a tendency to uh when i got angry i never I never expressed my anger violently or, or I, w- I wasn't a screamer and yeller, but I could get angry and hold on to it for weeks. And this has been, this was a huge detriment to uh, my personal life and uh, my family life and my marriage life. When I'd get angry at my wife and be angry for three or four weeks to the point where I forgot where I was angry ne- about. But now, and now that I'm in charge of what's going on between my ear holes, I can recognize my anger. I can express my anger if it needs to be expressed and you know, hopefully let it go. And then when it starts popping back in my head, I can remind myself, I'm not angry anymore. Shut up. So tell us how breathing is part of your mindfulness practice. Well, that's, uh, I count, I count my breaths. That, that is my mindfulness meditation every day. As I count my breaths, I sit down, I take a deep breath in through my nose and out through my mouth. And that's one. And so I try to do 100 breaths a day, but even in Going, going through everything else, if I'm about to step into a situation, if I'm about to give a speech or I'm about to do a podcast, if nothing else, I close my eyes, take one quick deep breath to fully center myself and be fully present right here. I can, I can do that in one breath now because I practice doing it every day. And that's a superpower. If you can calm yourself, that's one of the first things you have to teach babies is how to calm themselves. But I think we need to teach adults that too, how to calm themselves and, and, and quiet their brain. And uh, one deep breath, when I need it, can get that done. 
Do you have any other books you'd recommend on mindfulness? You've recommended the book Stumbling on Happiness. Do you have any others? Stumbling on Happiness, uh, there's a book that I haven't read that is actually sitting here on my desk that is my next book on my read list. It's called Search Inside Yourself, um, and that's from the... Um, from a gentleman at Google who invented the, the or who developed the mindfulness practice that Google uses. And uh, I also haven't read the entire book, but there's a book called 10% Happier by ABC News anchor Dan Harris. And I talk about that a little bit in my book, how he, because uh, he had dealt with some of the things that I had dealt with, addiction and a type A hard charging personality. And it almost, it almost cost him his career until he discovered mindfulness. And he talks a lot of the, he, he approaches mindfulness in the same way that I do is that you don't need a magic carpet and incense and singing bowls. You just need to take a few minutes to, uh, to, to sit down and, and control your brain. Yeah. And he's got a couple of good videos on YouTube as well. Yep, I've seen most that. of those. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Can you share an app which helps you be more mindful? Well, I, like I said, I don't use the apps. I know Dan Harris has an app that goes with his that uh, that that he, goes with Ten Percent Happier that he promotes. The only app that I've ever really used is just a timer, just twenty five minutes to sit down and and time myself and, and be fully present here for how, whatever length of time that I want to do. So I I think mindfulness is it doesn't require external external help. You have all, you have everything you need to, to to get it done without without the use of apps and even books. You don't have to read my book to learn how to breathe. Right. And you already mentioned the Pomodoro technique, which you can get in a number of different apps. So, yeah, I agree. Those kinds of things can really help you. Terry, what advice would you give a person who is new to the idea of mindfulness and they'd like to start using it in their life? Well, I think the the same advice that I'd give for mindfulness is the same advice that I give for everything else. You can't get where you're going unless you start where you are. So just start, you know, just take a few minutes to take a, a, a few quick, deep breaths. And the other thing is, to become aware of what's going on inside your head uh, when, when you start replaying the same arguments. Like, you know, if a guy cuts you off on the interstate and you're, you're mad about it, but it's still going through your mind 20 minutes later or two days later and you're formulating the perfect comebacks for him and what you should have said to that guy and what you're going to say the next time somebody cuts you off and this thing and that, you know, Learn to recognize these thoughts that are bouncing in your head that are accomplishing nothing and they're just echoes and just tell them to shut up. That's it's 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 it sounds it sounds ridiculous, but when you start do, going over these thoughts and they get stuck on repeat in in your head, whether it's an argument that you had with your wife or an argument that you had with your boss or or something that happened in your childhood that you wish hadn't had that way, and how your life would be different if that hadn't gone through that, just just tell it to shut up. You're in charge of what's going on in your head. So before we went on air, we talked about your book and you mentioned how, you know, it had always seemed like an overwhelming idea to write a book. Do you think that's the problem with most of us that we want to change our life? We think of these overwhelming goals and we think, I can do it. I can do it. I'll read all these self-help books and I'll do it. And then we get just knocked down because it didn't happen. It sounds like that's a big part of your philosophy, Terry. Well, I think I think so. I, I, the first time uh, somebody had suggested that I write a book, I kind of laughed it off. I said, "Yeah, I'm going to write a book, and I'm going to call it How to Make a Million Dollars and Lose a Hundred Pounds." <laughs> but first thing, I've got to make a million dollars and lose a hundred pounds, <laughs> and I haven't done that. But if you go on Amazon, almost every book is some version, especially in the self help category, some version of how to lose a hundred pounds and make a million dollars. They set up these big ostentatious goals, and they use those to motivate us to put in the work. We need to strive for this thing. 
And what I've done is I've taken completely the opposite approach is, you know, almost forget about the big giant goals and just take a good look at where you are at this moment and what you can do to make that better. I think so much, uh, one of my favorite sayings, Mike Tyson, is uh, everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth. So much of the planning and reading and research that we do is we're going to do this great thing when if then that, you know, after I read the book or after this happens or and we, and we push everything down the road because we don't think that we're that guy. It's some version of the imposter syndrome. And we're trying to research to find the magic bullet to get this big ostentatious thing. We want to be that. And there is no magic bullet. There's only this moment and the things that you can do in this moment to make your life better in the next moment. Right. That's so true. And I really love your attention on, on habit. And I really love how you talk about focus. Both of those things can really, really change us for sure. Oh, yeah. So yeah. yeah, Terry, it has been really awesome to spend this time with you today. And I'm really inspired by what you've done. I'm inspired by your book. And well, tell us, how can Mindful Tribe contact you and learn more about what you do? Well, you can find me on the web. I'm at terrylancaster.com. I'm scattered all across social media, but if you go to my website, terrylancaster.com, there's there's contact information there for my email. There's my Facebook. There's my Twitter. There's LinkedIn, and you can find the book on Amazon. There's a link there on the website as well, but all, everything you need to get in touch with Terry, and please do, everything's at terrylancaster.com. Okay, well, it's been terrific. All the best to you, and we'll talk to you another time. Thanks, Bruce. I appreciate you having me, buddy. Okay, bye now. Thank you so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For insightful blog articles and show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by clicking on the iTunes link on our website and leave a rating and review. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.